All right, everybody, welcome back. What is up? How's it going? This is another episode of the Text Lab where each week our hope is just to prepare you to have a study and a conversation and unpack God's word to us. So whether you are leading the life group, whether you're just a part of a life group, our goal is to really just help you be a disciple who makes disciples. And that happens as we study God's word, as we know his word. And so we just hope the Text Lab helps you have a meaningful conversation about what God has said to us In his word. We are going to be in Romans 4, starting in verse 9 through 15. Jake Manfredi, I'll always love having you on the text lab. I love being here. Yeah, man. Can you take us into the text? Let's do it. Let's go there. Romans 4, 9 to 15. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the steps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So many good things. In this passage, Jake. Lots of circumcision. Lots there. of circumcision on. going on here. Uh, mentioned quite a few times in this passage. Yeah. And that's a really big deal for Paul's original audience. Right. Whenever we come to the text, we always want to think um, using some different exegetical tools that we have in our exegetical tool toolbox. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, one of those is just thinking about, okay, who's the original audience who's of he talking this to? text? Yeah. yeah, who's his text? And um, what is the author's intent? Who? What is he trying to communicate to that original audience. And that's really important in a passage like this that talks about circumcision so many times because for Paul's original audience, circumcision was a really big deal. Mm. Um, This was something that um, God had established to the nation of Israel to really set them apart as a nation. Um, It was really a defining mark of their relationship with God, that um, a way that they would be set apart as the people of God. And the best way I think to even understand circumcision and the significance attached to it is to understood that this had a lot to do with their Jewish identity, uh, their mentality as a people, really kind of who they were as a nation was that they set themselves apart by circumcision. And so this was a really big deal for them. This is one of the main things that they held on to as a nation. You'll see this pop back up again in Romans 14, uh, where Paul is talking again about Jewish and Gentile relationships and being circumcised or uncircumcised. And so just understand the value of it as we come to a passage like this, that their identity was Mm. fully wrapped up in that. Yeah, and that's who he's talking to, right? He's talking to those Jews. And I know you had something of like, 
what what do you think david is like a good equivalent to our day of like circumcision i know mean, we were talking earlier about yeah it. i think thinking about it as as kind of um a nation or a people group mm. that's maybe very homogenous in the um first century writing the jewish people would have still been this primarily homogenous people group the nation of israel they were holding on to that identity but the significant thing is is that they attached their salvation mm. to that so their salvation came through the idea of being circumcised, through the idea of that that their great 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 grandfather yeah, was great, Abraham, great, great. Oh, yeah. keep adding some greats in there, um, and their salvation came through their lineage. And so mm. we don't even really quite, I think, have a strong enough modern parallel right. to that. Um, but something that was very core to their identity and really the way that they understood their salvation was: well, Abraham is our great 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 grandfather. Yeah. We're circumcised as the people of God. That means God has chosen us. That means he set us apart. That is who we are. Salvation comes through that. And now Paul really is going to take that and really flip that upside mm-hmm. down in his head. And he's going to kind of make this core argument going back to, well, let's talk about who your great, great, great grandfather was. Let's talk yeah. about Abraham. Um, and it's and going to kind of raise some questions about how was Abraham actually saved? And if you look in verse 10 there, he says, how then was it counted to him? The faith that was counted to Abraham as righteousness, how then was it counted? Was it before or after he was circumcised? And Paul starts to really unpack even the timeline of this. Mm-hmm. He says, let's look at um, a couple key chapters. Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to a far country. Genesis 15, God establishes this covenant with him. But then it's not until Genesis 17 that Abraham is actually circumcised. So that's about 29 years later. And it talks in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so Paul's kind of saying, let's just look at the facts here. When was Abraham's faith credited to righteousness. And it was really when he believed and it was before he was circumcised. It wasn't after he was circumcised. Um, And so the circumcision didn't give him that salvation. Yeah. And that's really the big idea that he's trying to deconstruct with his audience, right? Like he's trying over and over again to just like bash this idea into them that we are not saved by works. We're not saved by lineage. We're not saved by um, who Abraham is or that we're children of him. We are saved by faith in Christ Jesus for what he has done on the cross. And then the really cool thing as he keeps going in that argument is he calls in, in verse 12, he says, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith. So he's including the Gentiles into this. If we're, um, if we have the same faith in God, in Jesus, which is such a huge missional call, not only for us in our day, but also for the people who are receiving this uh, this letter in their day because they're starting to open up and they're like, oh shoot, this isn't just for that elite sect over there, the Jewish, the Pharisees. This is for me as well. Like I can have this faith. And then also to think about like, who Paul is, so important to remember. He's like the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And so he knows his stuff. He knows Genesis. He knows Abraham. He probably would have argued previously in his life about circumcision. But now to see this complete switch is so interesting to see because um, the audience who's receiving this probably knows of Paul, probably knows all this, all these things. And um, I don't know, I would imagine they're like, oh, well, I guess if Paul... Uh, who was a Jew can now be this, then maybe I can too. Like there's, it's a cool um, 
authors to like audience connection there. Well, and I think you're nailing it on the head, Jake, because you really see the process of salvation Mm. being played out in this text. And you really actually see kind of the big narrative of redemptive history being played out. Right. So think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They have sinned. This relationship with God has been broken. But what the promises in Genesis 3.15 that that Jesus will crush the head of Satan. And Mm -hmm. in that passage in Genesis 3, you see God pursuing Adam and Eve. He, they're not drawing near to God. God is drawing near to them. And mm. so then that starts even this process of uh, salvation that starts to come, up, come about through Abraham in Genesis 12, where God pursues Abraham mm. and calls him out and sets him apart and says, you will be my chosen people. I am pursuing this relationship with you. I'm bringing this redemptive process about through the nation of Israel, all the way up to Paul's own life, exactly what you said. So uh, one of the big main ideas in the first century, in the Jewish leaders, was that God was only living in the temple. His presence was mm. only there, and he was only accessible by becoming Jewish, by conversion to um, becoming a uh, part of the Jewish nation, and that God's presence was only there. This is what Adam was, or this is what Stephen was actually stoned for in the mm. book of Acts, was saying that God's presence isn't confined to the temple. He now lives in every single person. And then thinking about Paul's own conversion, it doesn't happen in the temple. It happens while he's out on a horse, on a donkey, going yeah. on his way. Yeah. Boom, the Spirit of God shows up and pursues him him. Mm. And now you see that very same process being played out here where salvation has come from and through the nation of Israel. But now it's not just confined to anybody who's been circumcised, but it actually is going out to every nation, every person, every people group. There's this huge missional aspect that we see that God is truly a God of mission. He's the Mm -hmm. one that's pursuing us. The way he pursued Adam and Eve, the way he pursued Abraham, the way he pursued Paul, the way that he pursues us in salvation, um, that that Abraham now is the father of all nations, whether you've been circumcised or not. It's about faith Mm. in Christ and what Christ has done. And I think that's an important part to unpack here about what does that faith actually mean. Um, Sometimes we kind of think about a conversion story or a sinner's prayer when we're thinking about faith, but I think Paul's really just talking about this daily active trust Mm. in what Jesus has done on the cross, which is really this daily getting off of the throne of our hearts. Salvation happens in a moment, but it extends for every moment of your life, that it is always just this continued process of saying, okay, Jesus, I want to trust in you. I want to follow you today. Um, And there's there's this call from Paul here to the church of Roman, to Jewish believers, to those who are yet to believe, to get off the throne of their heart, to believe, to truly trust in what Christ has done, to have faith in Christ, not in themselves, which really leaves us in a place of desperate dependence in our lives and just really asking the question, what does it mean to look and be and live a desperate dependent life? Right. Because the desperate dependent life is coming from this understanding of grace of God. I love that you're saying the word pursuit. You know what I mean? Like that is the arc of history that God is just pursuing us. And and then now how do we take this into our daily life, into our practical life and into our, our life groups, right? Like what are our life groups um, working on this week? You know, how are we taking this text? And really it's like, okay, how do we come alongside each other and be family and help each other to trust God more in the day to day? How do we help each other to be desperate and dependent together? Um, and so that's really what we're trying to do. And I think personally, as, as I'm reading this text, what's coming out for me uh, just in the week right now is like, we've got winter week, winter weekend uh, coming up 
um, tomorrow, but we're going up today to set up. And then we've got youth group. We've got, we've got so much stuff happening in the youth world. Uh, and then on top of that, we got, you know, all the other ministry things. And I am just exhausted, David. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so tired, (laughs) but also I don't have kids, David. Okay. (laughs) So I was talking to David last week and I was like, how do you do it, man? How do you do it? But you know what? That doesn't nullify my freaking exhaustion. So um, I am desperate dependent. I'm feeling that. And I was reading in Isaiah 40 this morning. It's just like God promises to give strength to those who are tired if we wait on him. And so that is like kind of where I'm sitting, especially with this text as well, because um, that is the arc of history that we are desperate dependent and that this gift from God is just that. It's a gift that we need to receive every second of every day. So how do I practice receiving it every second? Dude, I love, Jake, that you mentioned how a passage like this plays out into Mm -hmm. community because one of the temptations with a passage like this is to think that it's kind of this individual solo, me and Jesus. I just placed my faith in Jesus, and um, it's kind of this individual vertical thing with God, which there's an aspect to that, but it's not where it ends. And Paul is actually even writing this primarily focusing on these horizontal relationships Mm. between Jews and Gentiles, saying, look, you're all still on the equal playing field. The way you think about your salvation— the way you think about who you are and your identity affects everything about your relationships with each other. The vertical and the horizontal always intersecting together. And he's really, his ultimate call is to call them to live and walk in a way of love and accepting one another as Christ has accepted us. And so the way that that plays out exactly as you just described, where you're in community with each other, you're exhausted and you're overwhelmed and you're running on fumes, yeah. yet recognizing in our salvation, we add nothing to the equation. Mm. That it's God who has pursued us. That we can do nothing except trust and accept and believe in Christ and what he has done. That affects everything about our relationship with each yeah. other. It, yeah. it brings up a way of life that is walking in desperate dependence with one another, mm. of loving one another, of patience and grace for each other because of the grace that we have received. And so the vertical with God is always affecting the horizontal with each other. And those two things just totally totally interplay with one another. Um, and man, honestly, it hits me in the same way. It hit, reading this passage where it's like, okay, what does just a continual desperate dependent life in Jesus look like? What does it look like to fully uh, just wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I got nothing today yeah. except you. I've got I've got nothing that I bring to the table. I've got nothing that I bring to the equation. I, I need you in this deep, real way. I need you for grace. I need you for sustenance. I need you um, to to just make it through this day, relying fully on you, um, because I'm because I'm a sinner, because mm-hmm. I'm broken, because I'm weak, because I'm yeah. needy. Um, apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing, and that that changes something about our relationships with each other. That changes the way we just operate in the day, living and walking fully in that grace um, and the the grace that's come only through Christ. Because until we kind of recognize that we don't bring anything to the table, we're not able to fully, I think, receive that grace that is offered to us in Christ and in what, what Christ has done. Yeah. And that grace just results in joy, right? That's like such a big value here of it is grace. Just like that is what people see. They see joy. Yep. They see like, oh, you're happier than me and your circumstances might be worse. Yeah. Like, oh man, how does that shift evangelism? How does that shift missional work? Um, just recognizing our dependency, uh, our depravity results in, in joy. Yeah. So good, man. So good.
Hey, well, listener, thank you for joining us on the Text Lab today. Thanks for being a friend of the pod and spending your time with us. Our promises to you is to just always do our best to make this time valuable for you. Uh, if this helped you in any way, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so uh, whether you're working out at the gym, cleaning the house, or mowing the lawn, driving in the car, whatever you like to do while listening to the podcast, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you know you are one who is sent by God this week into your Pray Watch community, into your family, your school, your work, into Starbucks, the gym, wherever you might go. Go with God who invites you to be the living proof of our loving God. Yeah, we love you all and we'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.